I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. I am Boyd Matheson. It's great to be with you today, and uh, we're very pleased to be joined now by someone that most of you know already, Dana Perino from Fox. Uh, we have followed uh, Dana's career for uh, from her time in the White House uh, to her uh, important role at Fox as a uh, really vital voice on so many issues and helping us to frame the news of the day uh, in important ways. And uh, Dana, thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here. I always love to be visiting Utah. <laughs> we like to keep that Wyoming-Colorado connection for you, just to you know keep you grounded firmly in the West here. <laughs> Indeed. Thank you so much. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that really struck me, we always talk on this program about confidence is never arrogance, and that real confidence comes when you have respect for the challenge and you're ready for the task and you have that right humility and perspective. You've stood at some pretty uh, intimidating places and spaces uh, behind the uh, the podium there in the White House, uh, and you have uh, framed this in a way that I, I just love. Uh, you have said that confidence is kind, generous, and comforting, not arrogant. Where does that come from from you? Oh, thank you so much for asking. Um I think that I really did learn it um, you know, growing up um especially with my um family on the ranch in Newcastle, Wyoming. And I always loved the quiet, um, secure bearing of my grandfather. Um and I liked I would watch how, you know, people from the community um and, and neighboring ranches would come to him for advice and support and help and uh, he was also very good at vaccinating the livestock, so um I wouldn't say he was like the county vet or anything like that, <laughs> nothing official. But, you know, the, um, it was really a place where you helped each other out. And one of the worst things you could ever do um, in my circles when I was growing up was to uh, think that you were better than somebody else. Mm, so. um, and that, that was like very, very much frowned upon. I mean, and, and, and I think that that can go. That can also go a little bit too far. Right. Sure. Where maybe you're afraid to step up mm. at times. But I think I found a, a pretty healthy balance. And it's also just the way that I want to live. I think I've decided um, that living in a place of sort of, um, of where there is peace and serenity and productivity yeah, all together, um, where, of course, I want to be liked as well, but I also want to be respected. Um, I think that all comes through. And also, you know, the other thing I write about is um, becoming a better active listener. Mm. I think that if you watch especially young people today, they're so anxious to tell you what they think, and they are interrupting constantly, um, that I was thinking about some of the wisest people that I know, um, and somebody came to mind, um, the, the late Charles Krauthammer. Oh, yeah. He was such a wonderful communicator, right? A terrific, persuasive mm. person. Yeah. But how did he do that? And I was thinking back and imagining him, and I remember he used to listen. Yeah very intently and, and actively. 
Um, and also because you know he was um, in a in, in the wheelchair because of the um, accident that had happened when he was in his early twenties, yeah. um, he had to focus. That's right. So I, I mean, put your phone down, <laughs> sit on your hands, <laughs> listen in. and watch. Yeah. And I think yeah. you know that helps you become a little bit more confident because then you are actually paying attention and not trying to fake it. Oh, uh, I, I love that. It's one of the lessons I learned uh, when I was chief of staff for Senator Lee. You know, his dad. Rexley was Solicitor General, you know, presented in front of the Supreme Court, was just known for this great oratory. But I went back and every every picture that's significant of Rex Lee was always of him listening, listening to President Reagan, listening to someone else. Even the statue they oh, have. Oh, wow. What honoring, an interesting exercise. Yeah. Even the, the statue they have honoring him at BYU is he's in a listening pose. He's in his tails, you know, for before the Supreme Court. But that listening is is so vital. And as, and as you said, Dana, it, it does give you that listening gives you the confidence to stand in some pretty tough spaces. Uh, your new book, uh, which the title alone, uh, I just fell in love with, Everything Will Be Okay. And the subtitle, Life Lessons for Young Women from a Former Young Woman, uh, which I love. But uh, I want to go through a couple of key lessons, I think, uh, that you experienced. Uh, and I think a lot of this comes from that a definition of confidence that you have. You you stepped into uh, a really challenging spot. You you followed uh, not just a, a long line of press secretaries. Uh, you were the second woman, uh, but you followed Tony Snow, uh, mm-hmm. a bigger than life figure. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, tell us about what gave you the confidence stepping into that role at that particular point in time in the Bush administration. Well, I think a couple of things. One, um, uh, I had been a deputy for quite a long time, and I was very happy to be behind the scenes. Like, I did not seek to be um, in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. I loved helping um, where nobody could see me. <laughs> um, and then um, when it, uh, Tony Snow, because he was, um, one, a generous colleague and a generous boss, like he used to not worry about time with the boss. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people can sometimes get into this mode of um, – thinking that it might diminish them in the eyes of the CEO or the president or the leader of the organization if they're not the ones that are in every meeting and um, staffing every trip. And Tony Snow absolutely did not feel that way (laughs) at all. You know, he was very happy to have me brief the president, attend the meeting, um, manage the staff. And so I was kind of put into this position of doing all of these things except for the briefings. And and, and though he would have me brief as well, but um, so I was doing all the other parts of the job and then when they wanted to make me press secretary, I'll never forget that Tony Snow came to me on the day he was leaving, and he said, how are you doing? I was like, well, not very good, because how am I supposed to do this? And I was upset, and, uh, uh, and he made me stand up, and I'm five feet tall, and he's six, he was six four, yeah, I believe, six, four, maybe six, six five. five. Yeah. And he put his hands on my shoulders, and he said, you are better at this than you think you are. Mm. And I demurred, and I'm like, no, no, and he it made me look at him in the eye, and like, you are. Well, about two weeks later, I'd been doing the briefings, managing the things. Life was chaotic. It was crazy. Um, but I was doing it. It was fine. And then on a Friday, I was supposed to go to the briefing, but I got called into the chief of, staff, chief of staff's office. So I didn't have my notes with me, like all my big, you know, all my yeah. binder. The big book. With me. And so I went on my, I just went with this on one piece of paper with some scribbles that I'd had put written down from the chief of staff's office. And you know, Boyd, I had the best um, briefing I'd had oh. to date. And when I was thinking about it later that day, I, I always clean up my desk before I leave for the day. And I realized, I'm like, oh, that's what Tony meant. 
mm-hmm. that I don't have to be like him. Yeah. I could be myself and that that would be enough. Yeah. Oh, that's such a great lesson. And so many great lessons in there. The fact that the that Tony uh, was not trying to control the flow of information, uh, not trying to manage up to the boss, uh, but gave everybody and empowered everyone to, to be in that space. That's a, a big lesson. I'm going to have to have you come back to talk about this cleaning your desk at the end of the day. I have, <laughs> I have not found that one. Uh, but but I want to go to something in your book that, that connects to that conversation uh, with Tony, and that is that transition from, from being a staffer uh, mm. to, to being the boss. And stepping up. Yeah. Yeah, so I write about that, too, because I felt like in my first book I really gave advice for how you could improve your day-to-day work experience um, with better management, time management, um, better writing skills and things like that. And then I realized that there really wasn't a modern how-to guide for young people um, for going from that first or second job into that stepping into a role that they all want, which is a management role or a leadership role. Right. And figuring out a way to be chosen for that position. We're in a very competitive um, environment now. Yeah. And it also add to the fact that many businesses are changing in regards to COVID. Right. And working from home is now, you know, that was supposed to be temporary and now we're living at work. And for young people, you think, well, how are you going to get ahead if you can never see the boss? Um, And I have some advice, you know, for that too, um, about keeping visible and accepting assignments that nobody else wants. And I think that some people, Boyd, are getting very obsessed with this work-life balance question. And I'm for time off. I'm for rehabilitation and things. But there are times in your life, there will be times in your career when you've got to step on the gas. And that might mean getting up earlier or staying later later or working on a Saturday or a Sunday um, while you climb up to where you want to be. And it won't always be that way. That's my interview uh, today with uh, Dana Perino from Fox. And uh, you're talking about that idea of this seasonal approach of there is a time to have a season to, to step on the gas, to really go for it, to work the extra hours and the weekends, uh, but to make sure uh, that that doesn't become the habit or the pattern. Uh, part two of my interview with Dana Perino, we're going to air that tomorrow at this same time. So stick around and stick with us tomorrow on Inside Sources. Uh, she has great advice, especially for young women uh, and women in the workforce and some great strategies there. So you don't want to miss it. To Dana Perino, uh, we'll uh, have part two of my interview with Dana uh, coming up tomorrow at the same time, 2.35 here on Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. It is great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, and as promised, we're going to continue my conversation with Dana Perino. If you missed that yesterday, you can make sure you pick that up uh, in the podcast, kslpodcast.com, or on your KSL News Radio app. And as we had this conversation, of course, most people know Dana Perino either from her time as the press secretary to George W. Bush or uh, her career at uh, Fox News as a, an anchor and uh, really a vital voice there on on Fox. And uh, as we went through the conversation, she has a new book out, uh, which uh, talks about some great life lessons for young women. Uh 
from a former young woman, which I, I love that in the title uh, and that she can poke a little fun at herself. Uh, as we rounded out the first part uh, of the discussion with Dana, we were talking about those moments in life where you really have to step on the gas, where you have a season where you got to work the extra hours, the long weekends. Uh, and now in the second part of our interview, we're going to get into some of the things that will help us get to the balance. And that's another important piece that I think you get to in the book, Dana, is this idea of serenity and detoxing and finding peace. And I want to get your take on, especially for young women, uh, I think that is a really hard thing, you know, especially with social media. Uh, you know, everything is a comparison. Uh, I always say living your life through comparison is always fatal vision. Uh, but you've experienced all of those things. How do you get that serenity, especially as a young woman uh, trying to compete and balance all of the all of this input? Yeah, I, I love that. Um, I believe um, it was Roosevelt who said comparison is the thief of joy. Mm. Um, and I even find myself doing it sometimes, like especially yeah. during spring break times when I'm looking at people's um, vacation pictures and I'm like, I haven't been off and we, and I was like, either I'm going to have to get off social media or I need to take a vacation um, <laughs> myself. Um, so when I was um, in my 20s, I remember just having a lot of anxiety and worries. And I, re I realized now that that wasn't just me. I find that most young people, or especially young women, um, really are racked with anxiety, and it is preventing them from being able to move up and move on and then also have these moments of joy. I think about um, the word serenity as the serenity prayer, which was very prominent in my household. And um, I think of those as those glimpses of feeling like you're exactly where you're supposed to be at that time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're just very fleeting, but those yeah. moments are so special. And so how can you get more of those in your life? Well, I found this exercise that I've been doing ever since my 20s that I share in the book, and it's called a serenity checklist, where you write down, um, you make three columns, and in one column you write down your worries, concerns, anxieties, and in the second column you mark whether it is something you can have control over, mm -hmm. and if it is, you, you make a check mark, and for those that you don't, you leave it, and then in the third column, for anything that has a check mark, then you can start a plan of action for how you're going to deal with it. Yeah, love that. And then you can take that piece of paper and put it in your back pocket or your backpack, your wallet, your purse, tap, put it on your mirror. And whenever you feel those creeping anxieties, just pull that piece of paper out oh. and look at it again and realize like, oh, actually, I'm okay. Yeah, and I'm in control of the things that I can control. I love right. that. That is great. Uh, well, Dana, before I let you go, I have to ask you a uh a political communication question. Uh, okay. <laughs> because you live and breathe this and you've seen it for so long that, uh, you know, having a communication strategy equal to the policy strategy, uh, I think, is a, a challenge for not just for politicians and for political parties, uh, but also in terms of how we communicate about critical issues in our in our community. Uh, and we see so much now. Uh, especially on social media, where a lot of our language is being drained of its meaning. Uh, like who knew mm. infrastructure was, was health care and, uh, and a host mm -hmm. of other things, or that bipartisanship only meant you had to have some random mayor from the other party <laughs> in some remote city mm -hmm. uh, to make it. Uh, so as you've seen that and lived that uh, from a communication strategy standpoint, what do you think the things we should be thinking about or talking about as a country? Well, oh gosh, that's a great question. I mean, part of me admires the creativity 
Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, wow, I wish I'd thought of that. I know. That was impressive. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it, but it was impressive. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing, I, I, like, for example, I, I, but I also think it's a double-edged sword, right? Because mm-hmm. everything gets so watered down. Yeah. Now, it could be that Americans are in a, just a different mood and are very much more willing to have the federal government pay for a lot of things, and they're not worried about deficit spending. I mean, part of me feels like it is feels like, in a way, the Republicans are missing the moment mm-hmm. right now and, and are, argue, are arguing on the wrong playing field. Um, for now, like I do think that the Republicans will be right eventually, but how much is the um, Biden administration going to be able to do between now and then? Right. Right. I mean, they are in. A, they are. Uh, that is a man in a hurry. Yeah. Because yeah. he knows that he's got a very limited time. But how much can they get done before then? I don't know. And and also, it's just the case that um, whenever a party loses a White House. There's just a period of time where it's just uncertain, and there's a leadership vacuum. Yeah. And at some point, somebody will fill it. But I do think as long as President Trump is out there saying he's thinking about running in 2024, you will not have anybody else emerge because mm-hmm. they can't and right. because they won't. And so I think it just could be a while. Yeah. Um, but I would I'll say this, like specifically when it came to, for example, the Georgia voting law, I do think that the Georgia governor's office did a terrible job of communicating, and they rushed the signing of the bill. The bill passed, and they signed it in a private ceremony 30 minutes later. Mm. No press conference, nothing that talked about, for example, let's compare Georgia to Delaware. And it's like they didn't anticipate the blowback, but yet they want to say that um, Stacey Abrams bought the Jim Crow 2.0 domain two weeks before. Well, if you if she had already done that, then why weren't you prepared to fight? And I think sometimes that I, what I've been hearing from some Republicans is that they just feel like they're not going to get a fair shake in the media anyway, so they don't try. Oh, and I, I just come from a very different point of view. I think you have to try so much harder, yeah. but that it's worth it. It's so worth it. Always if you worth do. it. Yeah. So good. All right. I'm going to sneak in one really fast question just because uh, your former boss has been uh, in the news with some of his paintings and comments yes. on immigration uh, lately. Uh, he obviously was a, was a impressive figure uh, and an important figure in your life in terms of influence. Uh, what did you learn from him uh, that's helped you as you continued on uh, in your career? Oh, gosh, so much, so, so much. And in fact, um, he comes up a lot in the book. I have a special that it's going to air on Fox News on April 25th. That's a Sunday night at 10 p.m. in which I got to interview him about his book. Oh, um, and I think that I think that, you know, living your life in terms of grace and dignity and strength and values and principles, that if you live by a set of principles, it makes decision making a lot easier, yeah. a lot easier. So in the book, I talk about also you know, that dis- discipline um, is freedom. Yes. Oh, and that. so I learned a lot about that from him. Oh, fantastic. Well, we'd keep you here all day, Dana, but we know you have <laughs> Thank you. I'd love, to, I'd love to come again, boys. <laughs> well, we will get you back on. Uh, the book is Everything Will Be Okay, Life Lessons for Young Women from a Former Young Woman. Uh, Dana Perino, we appreciate your insight, your leadership, and Thank your you, voice sir. on the national stage. Thanks so much. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. We started the day talking about instant certainty being the enemy of truth, we're going to close out the day with the questions that could change it all. A butterfly question. Find out what it is next. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. 
More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.